I don't think anybody needs that. (laughs) It's good to see more people here this morning. We only had five of us last week. And you know the the more I read the Bible, the richer it gets. I, you know, we're studying here in the book of Hebrews, and and we studied this faith chapter, chapter eleven, and tells about all these saints of old, who in their lives honored God with with their life. No matter what God called upon them to do, they did it with joy and gladness. Even though they were they were mocked, they were laughed at, they were scorned, they even had to go to battle and have, have a war against some of the people of the world. And it speaks of all many of the things that they did. Uh, how Moses' parents protected him as a child, put him in a, a floating crib on the on the river. And uh, gave Pharaoh's daughter the opportunity to to raise him as her own, and speaks of what Moses did in leading the children out of Israel out of out of Egypt, and all of these things that they did. It speaks of others whose. Lives that who were tormented, tortured, sawn asunder. It speaks of so many things here. Uh, verse 35 of chapter 11 says, Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting a deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You know, this, that takes probably more strength than receiving uh, God's help. When God says, I have something better planned for you, you'll have a better resurrection in the kingdom, in, in God's kingdom. And others had a trial of cruel mocking, scourgings, of bonds and imprisonment. Uh, they were stoned, sawn asunder, uh, slain with a sword, you know, all these different things. And yet, through all of it, they obtained a good report. They did what God said to do. And in verse 39, it says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. In other words, they didn't get the promises that were made to them yet. Not and they died in faith that God would do it. And he is faithful, and they found him to be so throughout their lives. But verse 40 says, here is the reason. This is the reason that they didn't obtain that full promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that is, God foresaw, he in his foresight and wisdom knew that the church was coming in 
And this was his big plan. This was that mystery hidden from the saints of old and from the prophets and from the, even from the angels. They didn't know about this. And certainly Satan didn't see it coming, that God would send his own son as a sacrifice, a better sacrifice than the law had, better sacrifice than the law could provide. And God made this sacrifice himself. That is the, the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. To pay the price of sin for once and for all, for all people, not just the Jews, but even the Gentiles who come in by faith. And it's only by faith now even the Jews, they can't go back and start uh, making sacrifices and build a temple back up and all that. They, they may, but that's not going to get them salvation. It's by grace through faith. Grace, the grace of God, his doing, not ours, his doing. He's the one who did it all. He's the one who sent his son. Jesus died on the cross. He did his part. And it wasn't easy. So, let's take a look now here at this chapter 12. This word, wherefore, says because of these things that went before, because of those things, therefore, we use the word therefore. It says, because of that, this is so. Seeking, seeing we also are compassed about with, a great, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset, beset us, and let us run with patience the race set before us. So we've got a course to run too. Each of these had something that God gave them to do in, in their lives to, whether it's to uh, leave a country or whatever it was, to lead people out, the people of Israel out of Egypt to build a boat, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Covenant also was, was built there in the, in the wilderness. <clears throat> but this is talking about us. It's wherefore seeing we also. That is God's people today, the church. Now this, this was written to Hebrew Christians. And it says, and so this, the person who wrote this was a Hebrew also. And he says, therefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's this cloud of witnesses? I've, I've heard a lot of different preachers come up with different things on this. But I see these witnesses being those whose testimony and their lives witnessed the faithfulness of God. And then on the other hand, I see another thing. <clears throat> they didn't receive those promises 
because God foresaw that we were coming along and that God's plan had a further extension, and that is to let the Gentiles come in. And those witnesses are watching Christians. They are witnessing our lives and seeing what we do with the blessings that God has given us. Many of the Jews failed. They did not do what God said to do. We have these who did, who are a witness to us, but they are witnessing our lives now also. This is a two-way thing here. They see us. Therefore, seeing that we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So it says, we've got these people watching what we do who have passed on. And they received a good report, but they want to see what we do with this new salvation, this new testament, this new sacrifice, the sacrifice of God's own son to pay the price of sin. Instead of the, the animals that were sacrificed on the, on the altars of Israel. So we have a race to run, and he says, lay aside every weight, any hindrance, anything that would slow you down, and the sin which does so easily beset us. He said there are things that aren't really sin, but they don't do us much good either. They weigh us down. They, they're just baggage. He said, get rid of that stuff. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, these saints of old had patience in their lives. Whether it was that building of the ark, that took time. That didn't happen overnight. It took years to get that thing built. Or leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness for a long time. And they saw the works of God. And th but these were all worldly things. But we're going to be looking here at a different thing in just a little bit here. But right now for us, we have one thing to keep our eyes on. Verse 2 speaks to that. We're running that race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our model. He's the one that we look up to. He's the one that gives us strength to carry on in our lives. The Jews did not have someone like this. They had laws that they had to fulfill. God told them, you do this and I will do this for you. You trust in me and I'll fight your battles. I'll provide for you. Make your crops flourish. I'll give you water to drink and, and protection. And Oftentimes they look to other things. 
They looked to other kingdoms to fight their battles for them when they were weak, rather than relying on God. They did other things that God was not pleased with, and many of them fell in the wilderness. They complained about the manna that God gave them, probably the most nourishing food that's ever been invented, because they hear the million people out in the wilderness, and they were fed every day. They were provided for. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their, their shoes didn't wear out. They were provided for in so many ways and saw God protect them. He led them with a fiery, cloudy pillar, fire at night and a cloud by day. And they said, go this way, follow this. He gave them the law. He gave them many things, provided for them in many, many ways. And we see now that we are not to look to those things. We are not under these rules and regulations and laws and and all of that that the Jews were under. He said that the, the one that's under the law has to look to that law and live it scrupulously. Every, de- every little bit of it. But we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who died for me. He's the one that died for you. He, is, he was that blood sacrifice that paid for my sin. And look at this. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What joy was that? What was the joy that Jesus looked for or what that he got out of dying on the cross? That doesn't sound like a pleasant thing to do. What is that joy? That joy is seeing many, many people come in to his kingdom by faith. I believe that that is, you know, I, that's just Ed Brown thinking that way, but I believe that's what he was looking forward, forward to. He died on that cross for me and for you so that we might have lives that are joyful. And he knew that his father could raise him from the dead and that he would trusted God, trusted his father, and his father trusted him to come and and do the only thing that could pay for our sins. The only thing. Verse 3 says, For consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. says, don't, don't let the things of this world bog you down. Jesus died on the cross. He was reviled by, by the leaders of Israel even, the, the priests and, and, and these others. So lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. That is, lest you get to saying, oh, woe is me, look, what, look at all the troubles I've got. We've got the COVID and we've got people that 
around us that are dying. We've got all these things. And yes, we do have those things. But we're not to faint in our minds. We're not to, to think that we're the only one that's ever had problems. <laughs> My goodness, no, not at all. I look at Christians in Afghanistan right now, they're being slaughtered. If you're a Christian in Afghanistan, you are in trouble right now. Their children are starving. They don't have food to eat. Their, their lives are in constant tor- turmoil. There are other places in the world as well where people are, are hungry. And quite, fran- quite frankly, they're hungry for the word of God too. So we don't want to faint in our minds to get to, get to where we say, oh, I've got, I've got the worst problems in the world. No, I don't. <laughs> no, we don't. We're here in this country, man, we're... We're living the life of Riley, so to speak. It says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You haven't seen anything yet. You could experience these things that these other, that even the Jewish uh, faithful experienced. They could, we could have these things where it says that we could be destitute and afflicted and tormented. We're still human. We're still in this body. We're still capable of experiencing these things. He said that the world wasn't worthy of those who were wandering in deserts and mountains and, and dens and caves of the earth with nothing. But we could experience that too. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Verse 5 goes on here, and he says, And have ye, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. When God corrects us, don't don't lay there with your face in the gravel and and just grovel. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be corrected and change our ways because he wants us to participate in his holiness. He wants holiness for us because that's what he wants for the inhabitants of the kingdom that he's bringing. He wants holiness. And... So he corrects us when we're not holy. When we are unholy, let's put it that way. He corrects us. This chastening isn't just turning you over and spanking your butt. I got some of that as a kid. It was good for me. (laughs) I didn't enjoy it. He goes on to talk about that. But he says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Who that, that does, 
A father doesn't correct his children, doesn't care much for them. Our God loves us, and he corrects us when we are wrong. That's a blessing. It might not seem joyous, <laughs> may not be, you know, but God doesn't want us to see it as a bad thing, but as something that makes us think about what we're doing, makes us look at our own lives and say, how can I do what you want, Lord? How can I do it? How can I change? What, what is hindering me? You know, it says, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That's what he wants us to do. And we don't even see some of this stuff sometimes. We say, oh, this is just a harmless thing. This isn't something that's going to bother me. Yeah, well, if God sees it otherwise, we need to correct it. His, he's the Holy One. We are learning holiness. We're in the process here. It's like, like they take cars out to the Bonneville te- test flats and run the daylights out of them and see where their weaknesses are. We're on, we're on a test run here. This life is a test run for each of us. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, you know, they take all kinds of cars out there. They take Fords and Mercury's and, and, and Lincoln's and whatnot. But they've also taken Maserati's and Porsche's and, and Saab's and all kinds of cars out there and just run the daylights out of them until they break down somewhere. Something gives out. And then they say, ah, we can correct that. We can fix it in the next model. Well, that's kind of what we're doing. We're being tested here in this life. And our flaws will be made obvious in this life. And yet we have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Will it take that? Might. (laughs) It just might. But if you endure chastening or correction, God is dealing with you as with sons. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards, illegitimate, and not sons at all. If God doesn't correct us, there's something wrong. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Wouldn't you rather be in subjection to the Heavenly Father? And be granted eternal life. You know, there isn't going to be sin in that kingdom. And if there's sin in me, God needs to get rid of it for me. I can't. It's not within my power to do it. It's within his power to change me. But I have to be willing to let him. And to receive with gladness his correction. His changing. His, 
if 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 it takes a board across my backside, fine. Let's let's do that. But let's, I, he isn't wanting to punish us. He's wanting us to receive what he has to offer freely, and he he will give that if we're willing to receive those things, and gladly willingly change. Uh, he says concerning our earthly fathers in verse ten. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. This is the reason God is chastening us, correcting us, so that we learn to be partakers of his holiness. Now, there have been earthly fathers that just beat their children mercilessly and senselessly, and not for their good. I, he says, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. You know, no matter what that was. But he, that is God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. There's a difference there, a big difference. When God corrects us, it's for our good. He says, now, and he goes on, verse 11 says, anytime you're corrected for something that's wrong, it's not a pleasant thing. You have to admit you're wrong and, and say, okay, I'm sorry. I did it. I, I, you know, I, I did something that was really bad. And then God is able to correct it in our lives. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. It changes our life from the struggle that we were in to realizing that we are on the right track again. You know, being on the right track is a good thing. That's a joyous thing. I forget who it was. It may have been Jimmy Stewart who said, if you're on the right track, that's good. But don't just sit there or you'll get run over. <laughs> okay? That's the way it is for us too. We need to get going. Get on the right track and get going. Get moving. Don't just sit there groveling in the gravel and say, oh, I'm such, such a bad person. That's not what God wants. He wants us to get us up and going again. Verse 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. This healing, this strength, this growth, this progress in holiness is what God wants for our lives. He says, so lift up the hands down. Don't, don't just sit there with a hangdog hang dog expression on your face and saying, oh, woe is me. 
That's not what God wants. He says, get going. Make straight paths for your feet. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, before we were just wandering around doing whatever uh, we used to say, we're, oh, we're just dinking around. No, that's not what God wants. He says, make straight paths for your feet. You've got a goal. You've got an objective. You've got things to look forward to. And a lot of it is your own growth in holiness. And he uses a picture here. He says, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. You know, if, if you're driving a stagecoach and one of your horses becomes lame, you take him out of the harness and shoot him and, and the other horses pull the load and take you on to the next town. You can't, don't have time to mess with a lame horse. Well, he says that's not what God wants for us, though. He's not just going to shoot us and leave us laying on the side of the road. <laughs> that's not the idea. He says, but let it rather be healed. You know, I, I see the healing that Jesus did in his time. And healing a blind man or the deaf or the lame, it was instantaneous. God can do that for us. But we have to have faith. Somebody said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Wow. Is that on me? I have, I have to whomp up some faith here somewhere. No. It's by grace, unmerited favor of God. This is Ephesians chapter 2. You might recognize that. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that isn't even of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't say, ah, look, I have all this good faith. Hmm, I'm, I'm a good guy. No, 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 no. But you have to yield to God by faith so that he can heal you, so that he can do the healing. If you're doing it your way, you go right ahead and you'll fail. But God says, yield by faith. It's by grace, through faith, through our saying, I know God can do it. I believe, help thou my unbelief. You know, we have weaknesses. And God is able to overcome those. But we have to have the faith that lets him. Let him make straight paths for our feet and we can follow in them. He says, you need to be on the right path, the straight and narrow path. So that we can be healed. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Now, wait a minute. There's that word again, holiness. Uh, I was reading in another version that speaks about learning this holiness, learning how to be holy in our lives. And he says, if we don't learn this, this is part of our learning process, this holiness. That's what we're trying to learn. Without which no man shall see the Lord. Whoa. 
You're not even going to see them? No. Not if you've got your life cluttered with all these other things that are in your way. I know about clutter, baggage, uh, stuff that weighs us down. And it may not be something, it might just be junk that we've accumulated. I, we're, my family and I are bad about that. We've got more junk that really doesn't do us any good. Some of it we haven't even seen. It haven't taken out of a box for years. And I'd like to get rid of a lot of it. But God knows about that. And he can make it possible. Verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. He's talking here to the church. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. We need to be looking for that grace of God, for that correction if it takes that. But whatever it takes, we need to be willing and ready to accept that and diligently seeking God's way for our lives so that none of us fall short, none of us uh, fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. If we're fighting against one another and bickering and quarreling and saying, oh, we... We ought to be doing it this way, and, or we ought to be doing it that way. No, we need to be doing it God's way. And if we're doing it God's way, there, we won't be quarreling amongst ourselves about it. Oh, what color are we going to have the drapes? Or what, what color is the carpet going to be? You know, I don't know, how are we going to decorate? You know, that's not the important part. That's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as it's going down. You know, that's not what we are here to do. We're not here to bicker and quarrel and this root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. If you've got something that's, you're, you're not happy with the way other people are doing things. So you're, they're griping about the way they do it. Everybody's going to get in the argument sooner or later. And you draw other people in and you take sides. And No, we need to all be on God's side. We all need to be looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. This is what it's talking about here. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, Things in this life can look so tempting to us that we forget our goal, forget where we're supposed to be going, forget what God wants of our lives. You know, sometimes, you know, Esau here found out the hard way. He says, For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, 
though he sought it carefully with tears. He sought to have that blessing with tears, but he couldn't. You know, sometimes we don't get to make a choice because we already did. If we choose not to serve the Lord, he says, all right, have it your way. But don't come back. (laughs) You know? If we are wanting to serve the Lord, he will help us, even correct us, chasten us if that's what's necessary. But he wants the blessing for us. For ye are are not come unto the mount that might be touched. I want to read this in a in a different translation here for you. I I I want you to follow along in the King James as I read this. I'm I'm going to read this from the Weymouth translation. Now, Weymouth was he he became a Christian after he as a doctor of literature tried to translate the Septuagint into modern-day English. And this is the resulting New Testament. He never got the Old Testament finished. He died before he finished it. But he quotes the Old Testament even in in this. And so, verse 18 here is where I'm going to start. And this is telling about the difference between uh, the establishment of an earthly kingdom, that is, among the Jews, and that of the heavenly kingdom. And in the King James, it speaks about Mount Zion. For ye have, come, ye have not come to the mount that might be touched. Well, I'm, that's where I'm going to start. And Weymouth says, For ye have not come to a material object, uh, ablaze with fire and to gloom and darkness and storm of night uh, of trumpet blast and the sound of words a sound uh, let's see a sound of words a sound of such kind that they who heard it entreated that no more should be added they heard the word of God thundering there on Mount Zion are there uh, in the wilderness, and they said, "Oh, we we don't want any, want to hear God's word anymore." You go, Moses. You go up there on the hill, on the mountain, and you bring the bring God's word down, and you tell us about it. Well, he went up there, all right. He was afraid, but he went, and he came back with his face glowing having been in the presence of God. And he was excited and he was thrilled when he came down off of that mountain. And he brought them the word of God. But they didn't want to hear it. They said, oh, you you go up there. We we don't want to hear it ourselves. We're scared to death. (laughs) A sound of such kind that they who heard it entreated that no more should be added. They didn't want to hear it anymore. For they could not endure 
the order which had been given. God gave orders up there on that mountain. He said, you do it this way. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God above all, people, all others. And love thy neighbor as thyself. All of these, the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. He said, we don't want to hear any more of this. We don't, we don't want to hear it. You go up and you... And so Moses went up and God wrote the tablets of stone. He came back and what were they doing? Worshipping a golden calf. He threw those down and said, Ah, what am I going to do with these people, Lord? Why do you, why do you even bother with them? Well, he went on. He said, even a wild beast, if it touches the mountain, shall be stoned to death. That's in Exodus. And so terrible was the scene that Moses said, I tremble and fear. That's in Deuteronomy. Uh, that's Deuteronomy 2.19, by the way. And on the contrary, you have come to Mount Zion. Now, you're, you come to a different mountain. This is Mount Zion. You, you Christians, we Christians. He says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the everlasting, ever-living God. Not everlasting, ever-living. He's alive. He is the father of life. He, he made life in everything. The heavenly Jerusalem to countless hosts of angels and to the festal gathering and the church. Now, the King James says the general assembly. But this says, this is a festal gathering. This is a joyful thing. They're having the festivities. They're having a joyful time. These are those saints that God brings with him when he returns to the earth. They're going to be a, a joyful a festal gathering and church of the firstborn whose names are recorded in heaven and to judge and to a judge who is God of all and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect and to Jesus the negotiator of a new of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of a more in more gracious tones than that of Abel. More gracious tones than that of Abel? Who, who was Abel? He was the first child that was born to Adam and Eve. What, what sacrifice is he talking about here? Sa Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God because he did it the way God said to do it. Cain did it a different way. And God said, I'm not pleased with this. And, and Abel received a blessing from God. And Cain was upset and he killed his brother. But this sacrifice that God calls upon us is to receive the sacrifice of his son that he made on our behalf. He's not going to reject that sacrifice. That's his own doing. 
not ours. We have no part in that, in making that sacrifice, but to accept it by faith, by grace, the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It goes on here in verse 25. He says, be careful not to refuse to listen to him who is speaking to you. For if they of old did not escape unpunished when they refused to listen to him who spoke on earth, much less shall we escape who turn a deaf ear to him who now speaks from heaven. Are we turning a deaf ear to what God wants for us? He says, don't do that. You, you listen, hear what God wants, and do it for your benefit, not for somebody else's. His voice then shook the earth, but now we have his promise. And here he quotes the Old Testament from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. He says, yet again, I will once for all cause not only the earth to tremble, but heaven also. He says, I'm not just going to be shaking the earth. I'm not going to be just taking these things and shaking them. I'm going to shake heaven too. What's the reason for this? So that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. And everything else is done away with. This is the promise of God. He he goes on here. uh, Let's see. Hear the words, this verse 27. Hear the words yet again, once for all. Those two ideas. Once again, he's going to do it again. He's going to do some shaking here. And this is going to be once for all. This is never going to be needed to be done again. These things denote the removal of the things which can be shaken. If it can be shaken, it's going to be. Those are created things. In order that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. He's going to destroy created things. But there is that which remains. And that is what God is looking for. Therefore, receiving as we now do a kingdom which cannot be shaken. That, notice the difference between the King James and, and that right there. Wherefore, receiving as we now do a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us cherish with thankfulness so that we may ever offer to God acceptable service with godly reverence and awe, for our God is also a consuming fire. Their God, the God of Israel, was a consuming fire. But our God is too. He expects things of us. And if we don't do it, we will be shaken. We will be shaken out and destroyed and gone so that those things which are not able to be shaken 
might remain. The woman at the well was told, there's coming a time when you won't worship at Jerusalem or in this mountain, whichever, you know. He was talking about the Jews and the Samaritans here in this mountain that they worshiped at or in Jerusalem. That's not the idea. He says, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. In, the, in your inner person, your heart, and in the things that you do, that's the truth. The spirit and truth, both. That's how we worship God. And here he was, Jesus told this to a woman who was not a, not a most sterling character. He couldn't, he didn't tell this to the, to the Pharisees. He didn't tell this to the priests of Israel. He didn't tell that to the rulers. He told it to this Samaritan woman. Jews didn't even speak to Samaritans, according to her. Jesus did. He speaks to our hearts, too. And he tells us to worship him in spirit and in truth. For, for our God is a consuming fire. If we want to worship him, uh, this, this idea here, therefore, this is verse 28. Therefore, receiving as we do a kingdom which cannot be shaken, that's God's kingdom. He's bringing it here for us, and we need to be ready to receive it. We need to learn that holiness, learn how to live lives that are acceptable to God. So, so the things that are remaining of our lives are things that can't be shaken as well. Let us cherish with thankfulness. You know, this idea of cherishing with thankfulness, I, uh, let us cherish with thanksgiving that grace, that unmerited favor that enables us to serve God accept, acceptably with godly reverence and fear. That's a different way of saying this. But we need to realize that we, we need to cherish, desire, and be thankful for God's correction to get us to a place where we can be acceptable in that unshaken kingdom. We need things in our lives that can't be shaken. Faith in God is what he's saying. Isn't this how the saints of old won a good report? Yes, it was. The book of Romans says, the just shall live by faith. If you're going to be there, it'll be through faith in God, believing what he has said and walking accordingly, doing what he says, not according to our, the likes of our own desires and, and our own whim, and going our own ways, we need to be going God's way. So that when his kingdom comes, we will be acceptable in that kingdom. Because sin is not going to be acceptable there. Ever. Sin is going to be excluded in that kingdom. 
We don't want our lives excluded because of sin. Are you willing to accept God's correction, his chastisement, and learn because of it? Not just, it's not there to, to make your backside smart. That's not the idea. The idea is you learn to do it the right way. Learn to do it God's way with holiness in your life. I don't know about you, but my life isn't exactly holy altogether. I'm still in this flesh. I still have this weakness. God's going to do away with that one day, and the flesh is going to be gone. But what's going to be left? What's going to be of service to God? What's going to be acceptable in his kingdom of my life? I need to consider that. We need to consider it. And so we realize that our God is also a consuming fire. He wants to, he's going to burn this earth up. He's, the, the last time he destroyed the earth, it was by water. Next time it's going to be by fire. The whole world. Are you going to have that place in God's kingdom? where you're going to be safe like they were on the ark when the world was destroyed by a flood? Are you going to have a life that is what God wants, wants it to be? Because our God is a consuming fire and he's going to destroy the earth. He's going to destroy the world as we know it. But we need to be ready to live in that new kingdom with lives that are made of holiness. That's what he wants for us. And he corrects us when our lives are not holy so that we can become what he wants for our good. Not for his. He's not doing it because we were naughty. That's not the point. He wants us to be ready when that kingdom comes. He wants you and I to be ready. That's why he corrects us. Well, chapter 13 goes on into some final exhortations. That's the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. But we need to be ready. This is what, you know, that faith chapter was a change from everything that had gone before. He was talking about the Old Testament before that. But this faith is a new way of walking before the Lord. And we need to be eager, not just willing, but eager to accept God's way for our lives so that we'll be ready when he brings that kingdom. Because there's going to be a consuming fire. It's going to destroy everything that we have ever known here on this earth. But there will be a, a great... A great day coming. The song sings, there's a great day coming, a great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by. But its greatness shall only come to them that love the Lord. Are you ready for that day to come? That's what this is about. We need to have our lives ready. 
We can't make ourselves ready. No way. But God is willing to if we let him. Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you eager for that? Are you up to it? God is up to it if, if you're not. And he's eager to show you how to live a, a holy life, one that is acceptable. Well, thank you for your listening. It's, I hope it was connected enough in, in your mind. I, there was a, I, I get the benefit of, of studying this to get ready. And I can't present all that I see necessarily. But I see that that general assembly that's coming is going to be a joyous celebration when God brings his kingdom here on the earth for those that are ready for it. Everybody else is going to be saying, oh, woe is me. But we need to be ready. God gives us the opportunity to be ready. And will correct us where we're not ready. Be thankful that he deals with you as, as a child, as a son, as son, somebody who is loved by him. He sent Jesus to die for us that, to make it possible. He says what we need to do is accept that and to be willing to change, willing to let him change us because we can't. Thank you. It's still going. I didn't. Did I just hit that red X? Yep. Just. Well, this morning we'll start in the book of Mark, the eighth chapter. Let's see here. Book of Mark, the eighth chapter. Give you a chance to turn over there. <clears throat> we'll talk a little bit about self-denial. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago, but there's just more the Lord was dealing with on me to, to read this and uh, to look over it. So hopefully you'll get some encouragement out of it as, as it did with me as I studied it. So Mark chapter 8, we'll start in the 29th verse there. <clears throat> it says, and he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they tell, uh, they tell no one, or no man of him, excuse me. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter uh, took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about, he looked on his disciples, and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whomsoever shall lose his life for my sake, the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For of what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in his glory of his Father and with the holy angels. We're familiar with this passage of Scripture. We've met it, read it many times over over at least the past, what, almost 10, 11 months now? <laughs> I feel like I've read it a hundred times. <laughs> but Jesus was talking here to the, to the multitude and to his disciples, and he said, Peter began, he said, who do you say I am? Excuse me, to his disciples. And he says, who do you say I am? And he says, thou art the Christ. But, he says there, and he charged them to tell that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things. So he goes on and says, they answer the question, who is, who is he? He's Christ. And then he goes on and tells them the things that must happen, what's going to happen leading up to his death and his resurrection. But the funny thing is there in verse 32, Peter begins to rebuke him. And what was Christ's response? Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, let's put this in the normal context here, conversations that you and I have. Sometimes we do things because we, we don't want it to be so, right? We don't want somebody to leave, leave visiting with us. We're like, no, stay for a little bit. You need to stay and let me, you know, let me feed you or, before you leave. But Jesus' rebuke here was because, why? Peter wanted in his flesh to keep Jesus with him. And that wasn't what Jesus had come to do, was to stay with him in the flesh. So Peter's rebuke, I mean, Jesus' rebuke to Peter was a stern one. Why? Because he wanted him to understand this is the way that Satan, he says, get behind me, Satan. You need to get behind me and leave this stuff alone. Because I need to do what the Lord sent me to do. That's what he was trying to tell him there. He said, For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. And then he goes on and he turns around and he talks to the, he called the rest of them unto him and his disciples. And he begins to te uh, teach them again. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. How many messages have we heard about bearing the cross and following Jesus? You've heard it from me at least twice, I know. Because I'm dim-witted and sometimes I forget what I've preached before. Uh, either that or the Lord is just telling me I need to preach it again. So, <clears throat> But then he goes on here. And he turns around and he teaches them about taking up your cross, your burdens, and following after him. 
Putting our flesh into subjection is not something that is very easy to do, is it? I can tell you this, that I've struggled more with getting rid of sugary sodas than I ever want to. Why? Because they taste good. They're pleasing to the flesh. <laughs> but I know that I can't continue to drink those sugary sodas because my sugar is going to go up. <laughs> but then I shove a cinnamon roll in my face this morning. So, you know, there is a statement that as stupid is as stupid does. So <laughs> uh, maybe I just need somebody to slap it out of my hand. <laughs> But anyways, he's, as he says there, he says, Whosoever will come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Why do you think that's so important? That we lay down our lives, we deny ourselves. Because we can't be a disciple of Jesus if we are Cleaving to the flesh. I think I sent out a, a devotional about, you know, putting to death our old self and then dragging it around and then resurrecting it ever so often. How would you like to have the paddles put to you a couple times a week, you know, and come back to life after you've died? Wouldn't be a very fun thing, would it? Just let me go. Just let the old self die. I know I use humor because sometimes we understand it, you know, but... The, the, this text here was trying to get it across that, hey, you want these things now? You're not going to have a life in the future. So guess what? Put these things down. And guess what the profit of that is? You gain Jesus. You gain the life to come. All the while you struggle with these, we struggle with these things that we carry around with us. Deceit. We carry around, we lie to ourselves from time, you know, from time to time. We do things that we shouldn't do that harm others. Speeding, texting while driving. I'm telling on myself here occasionally, so y'all don't hold that against me. Which my wife has told me, put it down, you're going to die if you don't do those things. So I've learned to put them away and try to pull over and do those things. But the scripture here is talking about something far more substantial. We're talking about a matter of life and death. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he said, uh, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid them not, for so such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up with his arms and put him on, uh, his hand upon them and blessed them. And when he had gone forth from an end of the way, there came one running and kneeling to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. 
And Jesus beheld him, uh, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to thy poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up thy cross and follow me. And he said this, uh, I was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possession. And Jesus looked round about him unto his disciples and said, How hardly shall that be that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth them again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it that them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of, me, uh, out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then could be saved? And Jesus, looking to them, said, With men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And Peter began to say to them, Lo, we have all left and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or sister." or excuse me, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Jesus was addressing the group gathered here with a question, with, with the young man asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Simple question enough, don't you think? But he wasn't prepared for the answer. It says, Jesus, one thing I thought was interesting there is he says, Jesus was what? He was moved. He was moved with compassion. So, he, what did Jesus say there following? He says, thou lackest one thing. He says, go, Sell what you have, give to the poor, and you shall have treasures in heaven. Come, take up thy cross, and follow me. He's saying, lay down all the stuff that you've got. He said, you've got all this stuff that's this wealth. He says, you've kept all these things from a child, but you have this big distraction in your life. Wow, that, that wealth was his crutch. We can say a lot about this man, but... There's a lot of things that we hold in our life that are crutches. But what's the intent of the scripture here? Self-denial. Giving up ourselves to serve the Lord. What is it that causes us to be distracted from, from serving the Lord? That's an honest question that we should ask ourselves. Jesus responds with that command in the following verse that we just talked about, go and sell what you have and give to the poor. He tells them to get rid of those things and take up his cross. Those burdens in the flesh that he has to follow the one who is able to bear all things, which are difficult for us to bear in the flesh. I think about this. Um, the one thing that I've always struggled with as a kid growing up was anxiety. I was always anxious kid. 
I was concerned about how to pay the bills, even though I was not old enough to, to have a job or anything. And my mom says, you don't need to worry about those things, honey. I'll take care of those things. What well, was the, the concept still the same there with Jesus? We can give those things to the Lord and he'll, he'll, he'll take care of them. We don't need to worry about this, this life, but submitting to Jesus and, having, uh, and taking up all these burdens that we bear and falling after him should be our number one desire. We're getting to the most important part. Hold on there. Buckle your seatbelts. He spoke of the difficulty of entering the kingdom because of such distractions like wealth or much family or things like that that they talk about there that were that were distracting from their service to God. It wasn't that our families are, are caring for others or things as a distraction. It should be adding to our service to the Lord. Because we're taking care, we're bearing each other's burdens. We talked about that was it last Sunday night. We talked about how we care for our brothers and sisters. Ultimately, it is responsibility that we bear our own burdens, but we also bear the burdens of others. But here, the admonition was to unburden ourselves of the things of this world and take up our cross and follow him. Why? Because he is all sufficient. What did he say this what we talked about grace this morning? Our grace, the grace of the Lord is all sufficient, isn't it? The one thing that we struggle the most with in this life is getting ourselves out of the way. And what does he tell him there? He goes on and tells them, he says, How hard shall they that have rich how hard is it for them to enter into the kingdom of God that have riches? That's the New American Standard summary there that I typically read when I study. So then he goes on there, he said he talks about it being easier for a camel to pass through an eye of eye of a needle. Now don't be confused. It's not the eye of a needle as in the thread a needle and the hole there with the th- where you put thread through. Eye of the needle was a gate to the city. It was a small gate. Camels had to be unburdened of their load, and they got down on their haunches, and they could move through the gate. It was small enough when the at night when the gates were closed, they could enter through this smaller gate to get in and seek safety in the city at night. So I encourage you to look at that. It's a very interesting topic there, the eye, the eye of the needle. <clears throat> But he says it's easier It's easier for that to happen than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're burdened with much distraction, with much load of, of caring for the things of this life. And then he says, And they were astonished out of measure, saying amongst themselves, Who can be saved? You're like, Lord, how is this possible that any of us can be saved and be delivered? And Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible. With God, for with God, all things are possible. Our only limitation in, 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 in this is that we need to trust the Lord more because we typically don't trust the Lord as much as we should, right? 
How many times do we face such difficulties in our week? Myself included, I know. I know quite a few times in a week. And I have to go, okay, Lord, that's enough. I'll put stuff down and you can take care of it. And typically when I put myself out of the way, it goes much smoother, doesn't it? Each one of you can attest to the self-same thing. I know it. I think sometimes when I put things aside, if I'm trying to do something and Donna's like, here, let me do it. Because uh, I'm frustrated with it. When I finally put it down and I quit stressing about it, Donna's like, it. she fixes it because my frustration just clouds my ability to solve the problem. So what's the what's the what's the admonition here in the scripture that Jesus is trying to convey to him? You can't do these things yourself. If you serve me, put these things aside. The wealth, the troubles, take up your cross and follow me. Yes, those burdens are still there, but they're much easier to bear. I think about the account of Jesus and Simon there when he was bearing the cross to Calvary, what happened? He helped him bear the load, didn't he? It was easier to bear. Let's look at Luke chapter 14. You know, sometimes when you're when I'm preparing a message, I think, oh, this is not going to take but 15 minutes. The trick is don't lie to yourself and tell you you're going to be done in 15 minutes. <laughs> Luke 14 and verse 15. says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said <clears throat> unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread of, of the kingdom of God. Then he said unto him, A certain man made a supper and bade many. And sent his servants at supper time and say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I pray that you have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yokes of oxen and I have to prove them. I pray that you have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and shewed his Lord these things, and the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come, that my house may be filled. And he saith unto, unto you, that none of these men which were bidden shall taste my supper. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father or mother or wife or child or brethren or sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I'll stop there. What do these two accounts here have to do? He was talking about a parable of the master bidding those servants around him to come and eat. It's very similar with what we've been discussing. 
Master bid them to come to the feast and they began to make excuse. They were burdened with caring for the things of their life rather than what? Their master that called them to come serve him and come and be uh, enjoy the feast. What happened? He got angry. Because why? Well, obviously they'd known about this feast for quite some time and they weren't prepared. They had all this time to prepare and have all these things wrapped up to go and enjoy the feast. So then guess what? He goes, all right, these people aren't worthy of this feast. They're not going to eat it. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to get all these other people and get them to come in. He tells the servant, go and do these things. He says, it's done. Out of all those people, he had one servant that he mentions that went and did exactly what he asked me to do. He went and gathered up the people to, to come enjoy the feast. So you'll see here that these people that were asked all had excuses. But what did the master say to it? At the end, he says, For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Why? Because they didn't have enough time of day to, to get rid of their burdens and pick up their cross and follow after their master. And the penalty there was they didn't get to enjoy the feast and they didn't get to, they didn't get to partake of the supper. And what did Jesus say after he talks about that? Verse 25 on, he says, I say, and it says, if any man come to me, I hate not his father, his mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Of course, we've talked about this particular passage of scripture, and it's not saying hate or as in loathe, but our love for the Lord should should seem as hate when we carry it in comparison to how we feel for our family. He says, whoever doesn't bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Why is that? Because they care too much about this life. And what did the scripture say that we read over in Mark? It said, if you don't do these things, you can't be my disciple. We often have an identity crisis when we get caught between the flesh and spirit, don't we? War against one another, the scripture bears that out. And how do we do it? We take it to Jesus and we lay it at his feet. And just to like the account in the scripture, I believe that Jesus helps bear our burdens. Also, each one of us help each other bear our burdens. If we're sick, we call on one another to help, whether it's food or whether it's just an encouraging word or in the difficulties we face, but that's, that's a need. We need to help one another. We're commanded to do, that, do such a thing, aren't we? Let's look at John chapter 8 where we'll come to a close. John chapter 8. We'll read starting in verse 25 of John chapter 8. 
Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak unto the word those things which I have heard of him. And they understood not what he spake unto them of the Father. And then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me with us, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that please him. And he spake these words, many believed on him. And Jesus said of those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? They didn't get it. Jesus answered them, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth a sin is the servant of sin, and a servant abideth in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make, the, make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that Abraham seed, that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because of my word hath no place in you. I spake that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye are Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then ye say to him, We be born of fornication and have one father, even God. Or not of fornication, rather, excuse me. And Jesus said unto him, If God were your father, ye would love me. And if I proceed forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He, has, uh, he was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you con uh, convicteth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word, and ye therefore heareth them not, because ye are not of God. And then the Jews answered and said to him, See, uh, Say we not well, well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor the Father, and ye do dishonor me, and I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and thou shalt, thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death. Art thou not greater than thy father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? And Jesus said, uh, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, 
of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him, and if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, was, I, uh, was, I am. And then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus himself went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. That's a long account of the scripture there, but do you understand what he's saying? Absolutely. They didn't understand who Jesus was because they were blinded. And they desired to hold on to the corruption of the flesh and keep the power that the Jews had at the time. They didn't want to listen to what Jesus had to say. Why? Because it it would turn their life completely upside down. They would lose all their power and prestige and it would not fulfill their flesh. But what did he say? He said, (laughs) I think this is interesting. He said, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. How hard do you think that would be for them to hear? Pretty hard. They were probably fighting mad. But Jesus' point was, is if I was to please myself, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be of God, would it? It would be like y'all, <laughs> saying y'all as in the Jews, not pointing y'all. Forgive me. <laughs> I think y'all knew what I was saying. I was pointing. <laughs> Mom always told me, be careful who you point at. (laughs) But the point was, is Jesus was trying to get them to understand that he was of the Father and that he did nothing of himself but what the Lord had sent him to do. What does Scripture say? It says he accounted himself not to be equal with God, but took on the form of a man as a servant. Jesus bared the cross for us so that we might have an opportunity to serve our God. But even in that, his desire was to see his fellow countrymen serve the Lord. Even to the point of putting down everything that he had, power, prestige, you know, Jesus could have done all of that, but what would it have done? Nothing. So think about this. Think about the Jews and, and, and the difficulties that they were set with there to take to accept Jesus or not to. We have the same opportunity. We can either confirm or deny that Jesus is the Lord, but it doesn't mean that it changes the truth, does it? And he said they were they were so caught up in what they were hearing that they didn't what they heard from him and they believed what they that they were the seed of Abraham and that he wasn't he was saying setting himself up to be something he wasn't but Jesus's proof was in the pudding he came to declare what the father would have him to do and he bared the burdens of countless others who were worthy to bear their own sins 
Even the ones that hated him for who he was. So. The same thing that Jesus taught through the scripture about bearing your own burdens. About taking up your cross, excuse me. Taking up your cross and following him. He did it. He bared the example. He bared our reproach. So, why now would we make Jesus a reproach and a stumbling block? Let's put down our lives and let's serve him like we should. Let us take up our cross and follow him willingly. Putting aside all these things that, don't, that, that aren't but a distraction in our service to the Lord. Why, you ask? Because it would be a blessing. We've seen it now, and we have the opportunity. So why not lay aside the rest of this stuff in the flesh and pick up Jesus and the cross that he bare and follow after him because the reward is far greater. If we don't pick it up, then we have this life, and that's it. And we bear our judgment. Otherwise, if we pick up the cross and follow after him, our judgment is a reward. It's not a, it's not a curse. That's all I have for you this morning.